Let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to hopefully, God willing, finish the chapter today. The last section we looked at, the question is, is our word good and do we keep our word? Do we keep our promises? God is always true. Ultimately, God always keeps His word. He is always faithful. Always, always, always. I found that after 30 plus years of of, uh, being a Christian is that God is faithful. If there's anything I know, is that God is faithful. He's faithful to His word. As children of God, we are, we're called to keep our word, to be faithful as well, and to be people of truth and integrity. Now, the next section we want to look at today is really about revenge and retaliation or love for our enemies. How many of you know this saying, don't get mad, get even? See, everybody, you all know that. How come you know that so well? Is that your mantra? Oh, don't use that word mantra. That's Eastern religion. (laughs) Don't get mad. Get even. We all know it because we've all felt it. We've all been through it. We all understand it. Somebody does something to us. Somebody does something to somebody we love. And our first response is, you know, we're going to do something. We talked about road rage. Somebody cuts us off. And what do we want to do? We want to go cut them off so we can have a little, you know, revenge. Get even. But Jesus, as we look at his word and, and these words he give, gave to us on the Sermon on the Mount, he's always challenging us and he's always getting right to the heart of us, like what's inside of us and what makes us tick and, and what does he want to do in there? How does he want to change us to, to make us more like him? That's the bottom line, to make us more like him. And so he has to show us stuff that's there and it's not very pleasant sometimes. I, you know, these have been some of the most challenging studies I've ever had to look at because They're all right there in me. They're right there in each one of us. Can't we just jump over this? Bob said we have to look at every word. Bob, can't we just jump ahead, the stuff we don't like, the stuff that, you know, makes us uncomfortable? Look at verse 38. It says, you have heard, Jesus speaking, you have heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Again, Jesus begins with, you know, a quotation out of the Old Testament or a quotation from the teaching of that day, the Jewish teaching of that day. And he says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that was a very common, well understood law. One of the most basic laws of all. It's called the lex talionis for those of you that care. And it really is the law of retaliation, the law of retribution, you could call it as well. And it was a principle, a valid principle. You say, well, you know, does that mean the Bible's saying you just got to go out and get even with everybody? Well, actually, what the deal was is back then, this law that was given by God was to limit retaliation. It was to limit vengeance, put, you know, a fence around it so that, you know, if one person got hurt, well, you'd just get the whole group, the whole tribe together and go after that one person and then kill the whole tribe if one person did something wrong, you see. But what, what it was is that it would, would limit, that the penalty would fit the crime. And, and much of our legal system is founded upon this principle, when you think about it, that the penalty would fit the crime. Also, when you study and look at it as well, that is that it would be meted out by a judge. It wasn't uh, uh, you know, on a personal level in most cases that you would just go out and take it yourself. 
it would be, you know, there would be rulers and judges who would, you know, meet this out. So it would give them, you know, um, guidelines. Just like our judges now have sentencing guidelines, right? Don't they? And there's all kinds of, uh, you know, rules of the way things need to go. It was a principle that was not necessarily carried out literally, and I think it's the principle. And again, we, 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 when we understand God's Word, it, it doesn't mean, well, you know, this guy hurt this guy's eye, so they go and take his eye out. No, but it's a, a principle of equality of what, you know, some kind of punishment that would fit the crime. They don't necessarily go out and do that now. It's, it's many times in our society, it's a monetary punishment, or it's a... Uh, time in uh, incarceration, in prison, jail time that you spend. It isn't necessarily they're going to go and, you know, you stole this guy's VCR, so they're going to go steal your VCR. But the principle is what is fair, what is, you know, equal to that. You see what I'm saying here? It also includes the idea of restitution as well. But again, Jesus, you know, he's, he's not saying this, this, this isn't valid, but Jesus for his disciples and for the for believers, he goes deeper. He goes deeper to the hearts of you and I to see how we respond to the things that happen to us in this life. Do you ever have people do anything wrong to you? Or do you ever face kinds of trials like this? Well, how do you respond? What comes up out of you? That's what Jesus is getting back. Look at verse 39. He says, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Our first response would be what? Someone, you know, does something to us. Our first response is to fight back, is it not? We want to get back. But Jesus is saying that there is a greater law, and that's the law of love. He says if someone strikes you on the right cheek, notice he says the right cheek, you say, what does that make any difference? Well, really what this is here is, is not just somebody punching somebody, but it's in a form, in the worst form of insult. Because it would really be, if, if you're right-handed and you strike somebody on the right cheek, you know, unless you turn around and go like this, which you won't do, you're going hit to hit them with the back of your hand, right? And that in that day and age was the worst form of insult, to slap them with the back of your hand was the worst form of insult that you could ever do to anybody. And Jesus is saying, when you get insulted like this, he's saying to turn the other cheek. Now, he's not telling us to be punching bags. And, you know, when you look at the whole of, of the Bible and, and, you know, for people to be abused, that, he's not saying to let that happen. Don't misunderstand me. He's talking about when people get insulted, people take advantage of us, people do things against us. How do we respond? What comes up out of us? There is still a place, let me preface all this, there is a place for the, the courts, for the law, for judges, and for punishment, and these things all are, are you know, they're not all done away with. But on this personal level, Someone insults us. What do we do? I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12, and, and we'll get the general principle that, that Paul the Apostle is saying, but I believe it is in line with what Jesus is saying here. Romans chapter 12, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. Chapter 12, turn with me, verse 17. 
He says there, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think that's what Jesus is saying here, to overcome evil with good. Not revenge, not repayment, but actually doing good to them. Later in the passage in Matthew, he's going to say to love your enemies. We'll talk about that. But this is the principle to overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Now, I don't know about you, but does that come natural? You know, it does not come natural to us. When someone is evil to us, someone is bad to us, we want to fight back, we want to strike back, we want to get even, we want revenge, we want retaliation. And someone said, this is, this is not natural, what we're talking about here, but supernatural. And only God can give us the strength to love as He does. We have got to call upon Him in the trials of this life. But as Paul is talking about here too, we need to trust God to fight our battles. So many times we think we need to get in there and we need to show them, we need to take care of it, and we need to make it all happen. But he says here, let God take care of it. Leave room for God's wrath. Let God take care of the situation. You just, you just pour back good. You pour back love. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this, when they hurled their insults at him, that is Jesus. And again, like I said, we're, we're, we're called to be more like Jesus. That's what we're called to be. That's what he's trying to do, make us more and more in, in his image. And when they, those that were coming against Jesus, they hurled their insults at him, it says he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Instead, what did he do? He entrusted himself to who? To God, to his Father. He trusted him to take care of it, to fight, to do what was right. Usually when we get all, you know, worked up and, and we, you know, respond in kind to things that come against us, does it turn out well? It's like throwing, you know, fuel on the fire and things can get, you know, radically out of control very quickly, very fast. Jesus did not retaliate, didn't make threats. Well, I'll show you. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. It says in Peter as well, later in Chapter 3, 1 Peter, it says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. What? Someone does something evil and you want us to bless, give them a blessing in return? Somebody insults us and we, we are supposed to give them a blessing in return? 
whoa, I don't know about all this. You know, I'm not sure if I can understand all that. I'm not sure if I can do this. Well, yeah, I just said that in, in and of ourselves, it's not natural. We can't do it. It's supernatural, though. But Jesus is calling us to something much higher than what we naturally have. I read this, though, this uh, Chinese proverb says, He who seeks revenge digs two graves. Someone else said this, when we get even with someone, that is literally what we are doing, becoming even with them. We're bringing ourselves right to their level. We want to get even, and we're getting even all right. We're just like them now, just like them. We're called to be different. We're called to be followers of Jesus. Someone else talked about this old Amos and Andy television program, and, and I, have, you know, I have to say I've never seen it. I'm just, I'm just too young. I'm so young. How many of you have ever seen that, though? Oh, man, you guys are old. <laughs> I'll pray for you. But in this one program, it says that Andy was angry, and he, there was a guy, a bigger guy, who would you know, slap him across the chest every time they met. And finally, he had enough of it, and so he told his friend Amos, I'm going to get revenge. He says, I put a stick of dynamite in my vest pocket. The next time he slaps me on the chest, he's going to get his hand blown off. Well, that's smart. But Andy forgot the dynamite would, would also blow his own heart out. And revenge may hurt the other person, but it always blows our own heart out as well. It affects us. Again, that's why Jesus is talking about why does he want to deal with the stuff inside of us? Because he loves us and he doesn't want us to be walking around with bitterness and angry uh, hearts and hatred and, and, you know, retaliation. Look at verse 40 back in Matthew chapter 5. Let's turn back. Matthew chapter 5, verse 40. It says, if someone wants to sue you, and take your tunic, let him take your cloak, or let him have your cloak as well. Hmm. Sue? You know, all we hear about is lawsuits, right? We're a very litigious society, right? It's a big word. Right, Al? He likes the big words. Everybody wants to sue everybody about everything. Oh, well, they did this. He... You know, he put his fence, you know, three inches onto my property. I've got, I've got to take care of this. It's just not right. He says, but if someone wants to sue you, he wants to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Providence Journal says that Rhode Island, you know, our population has prayed, stayed pretty much the same over the last 30 years or so, right around a million, and that's true. It says, but since 1970, the number of lawyers licensed to practice in Rhode Island has exploded from 676 to more than 5,200. And that's why they're having trouble finding jobs. Just too many. That makes us seventh in the country per capita, and Massachusetts is number one. I, I just love those TV ads, don't you? The guy gets on there and he says, if you hire me, I will get you big money. 
The love of money is involved in all this. You're going to get what you deserve. Now, I'm not saying there is certainly a place to stand up and fight. There is certainly a place. Paul the Apostle in the book of Acts, you read in chapter 16, chapter 22, chapter 25, Paul, Paul stood up and said, this is a time when we need to draw a line in the sand and this, we need to stand up according to the laws of the land. And there is a time for that. But how many times should it be that you know, we need to try to work it out? We need to try, to try to think of the other person. Maybe take a little bit of insult. You know, I, I, I go out for rides with uh, you know, the police department and we're in my, in my, uh, still going through the process to become a chaplain in the Warwick Police Department. And these guys, you know, they say, you know, we, we're, we're called out to go to, you know, f- these things where they say, well, the, my neighbor's stereo is too loud or, you know, my neighbor's dog barks or, you know, but the neighbors don't talk to each other. I remember we moved into our house in... Uh, the guy I was buying, that we were buying the house from, he promised me this car that was sitting out there. And uh, I wanted that car. It was a little Mustang convertible. Not a GT, but just a four-cylinder. But I wanted it. I wanted to fix it up and drive around in it and think I was cool. <laughs> Maybe I'd put a little GT emblem on the side just to fake people out. But... The problem was that he had also promised it to my neighbor. And so one day, you know, we're there and this neighbor's out there, you know, uh, I mean, it, the weeds had overgrown the whole car. And so he was out there, his son was out there weed whacking everything. And, and I go out there like, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm, I'm, you know, cutting this down so we can take our car out of here. I said, what are you talking about that? No, he gave me that car. Oh, no, no, he gave us the car. And so I had a decision at that point in time to say, well, you know, am I going to make a huge deal out of this and maybe have an enemy for life? You know, the truth is he promised him first. And the guy, you know, got us in this bind. You know, finally I said, you know what, hey, cool, take it. I don't care. It's a piece of junk anyways. (laughs) And he took that car and... uh, I hate to think what would have happened had I made a big deal and fought about that, you know, or something worth a few hundred dollars. It really wasn't worth that much. But him and I are like friends now. I go over there and borrow tools from him all the time. He has every kind of tool in his garage. And I go, do you have a tool for, oh, yeah, follow me. And he lets me borrow any tool I need if he has it. You need to... Jesus, I believe what he's saying here and in the context of the whole picture is that we need to let love and wisdom guide us. Choose our battles before we just lash out and, and going to get what's mine and, and take care of my rights and what are my rights in the situation. Jesus knows that we have rights, but he also wants to deal with our hearts. Well, what's coming up out of our hearts? Is it we're getting all in the flesh and worked up and angry? And I was pretty angry in that situation. I'm so glad that that I didn't pursue that. Look at verse 41. We've got to move quickly. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Go in two miles. 
the Roman soldiers could legally come up to you and say, listen, uh, I'm kind of tired right now. You carry my pack and my gear for one mile. And they could legally force them to do that. They had to do it. But he's saying here, you know, if they want you to go and they want to press you into service for one mile, go too. You say, well, no, that's kind of inconvenient. It's inconvenient to go one mile. Why should I want to go two? Because you might have an effect on this person. Who knows what could come out of it? This same word about being pressed into service is the same word used about the guy Simon who was pressed into service to do what? To carry the cross of Jesus Christ. Go the extra mile. Give. Don't turn away. It's maybe not convenient, maybe not easy, but what is God wanting to use us in? And, and how could He use us in a situation with somebody that we, we just have no idea? Well, let's just go along for the ride and see what happens. But if we just say, no way, I'm, get away from me. How will we ever know? Verse 43, he takes it even further, and this, this is what really gets me. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It was a well-known verse out of the book of Leviticus. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. The second of the two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second one like it, love your neighbor as yourself, right? It's out of the book of Leviticus. Both of those commandments from Jesus out of the book uh, of the book, the book of the law, the first five books. But when you read the whole verse where that comes from, let me let me read it to you in Leviticus nineteen eighteen. It says this: Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The context is no revenge. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's all over the Bible. We don't even, you know, question that. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I want to add, love your neighbor as you already love yourself. That's what I think God is telling us to do. We take care of ourselves. Let's take care of our neighbors. Don't fight back, but love back. But, but what he says here, you know, okay, neighbor, I can sort of get that. I can sort of get that. Although someone said this, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because they are generally the same people. Our enemies are not some people some far, far away, some far off place. But those people that we deal with day in and day out, he says, love your enemies. Now, let me ask you, isn't that going just a little bit too far? Isn't that going too far? Love your neighbor as yourself, okay, but love your enemies? And he's talking about the word agape here, and this isn't like a, you know, how you love your wife, or you love your child, or you love, you know, God, and you see, you feel it, and it's something you, you know, you're all into. He's talking about a selfless love, where you're caring about the other person's good more than your own. 
your enemies, love your enemies, care about them more than you care about yourself, do things for them. That's what we read in Romans chapter 12. God help us, not just don't fight back, but love them. Man, we better start praying now, I think. We better start praying and ask God to help us now. I, I, I need to. But look what he says there in that verse. The first way he tells us how to love our enemies is what? Pray for those who persecute you. First thing he says, and there are many, many other ways how we can show love to these people, overcome evil with good, but he says to pray for them. That's a good place to, 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 to start anyways, to pray for them. Do you pray for those people that are your enemies, that have done you wrong? I remember that this boss of mine, uh, and I've told this story before, but I asked, I asked this boss if I could um, change my schedule and, and go to like part-time work, right? Because we were planning the church here, and this was in Connecticut. We were working in Connecticut, living in Rhode Island. I asked him, could I go to a part-time work? And, and uh, he says, you know, we just don't do that around here. <laughs> what? There were other people working part-time, maybe one or two. So you know what? I said, okay, what else could I say? I'll get you. <laughs> How dare you say that to me? I'm trying to be spiritual. Now, this is for the Lord. Why are we doing this work for God? No, I said, okay, well, thanks anyways. But you know what? I started to get angry at him. And he was like the enemy. I walked through the hall and I'd see him. It's a guy who won't. You know, but you know, I got so challenged by that and I began to pray for him and I began to pray God's blessings on him. And, and you know what? He didn't, cha it didn't change anything right then. But guess what did change? Me. Yeah, my heart changed. And I, be, you know, I could smile when I saw him. Praying for those people that have done things or that we even think they've done things, insulted us. Changes them, changes us. The interesting thing is it wasn't that much longer when I, I, I realized, and I felt I was so stupid, I, I realized that it wasn't too much longer down the road that I was supposed to just cut it and just, just, just quit and make a clean break. And I go, oh, God, I'm so stupid. Well, don't use that word stupid, by the way. It's not good. I guess if you say it about yourself, it's okay. So, so that's, I realize that's what the Lord wanted me to do. And, and, you know, the interesting thing about it is about six months later, they called me back, and they said, can you come and work for us part-time? <laughs> And we'll give you like almost double what we were paying you before. And like after that, I was just floored. And I was able to do that, go work for them like a couple of days a week. And it, it made up like the shortfall between, you know, what, uh, you know, the church was able to do and, and, and helped us pay for all the extra things in life. It was unbelievable. If I had done it my way, but God said, listen, if you do it my way, I'll, I'll do it right. I'll do it right. I'll take care of you. When you think about a guy like Stephen, right, in Acts chapter 7, there were people who were persecuting him. They were actually stoning him to death. They were killing him. 
And what did he do? What did he do? God will get you. If you do this, God's going to get you people for doing that. What, is that what he did? What did he do? He prayed for them. And you know where his example came from, right? When Jesus, those that were killing him, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Someone pointed out this, that the, the tense of the verb, when it says that he was praying, is, a, is like a, a, a continuous verb, that he kept praying. All the way through the whole thing. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. While these spikes were being put in his hands, while they were being driven into his feet, Father, forgive them. He just kept praying for them. One commentator said this, Humanly speaking, such behavior as the Lord calls for here is impossible. Only as a person is controlled by the Holy Spirit can he live a self sacrificing life. This is the gospel of the second mile. God help us. But look what he says in, in verse 45. He says that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. He says he's, this, is, this is so that we would be sons of our Father in heaven, that we'd be acting like Him. As I've said a few times already, they would be more like Jesus, who came and showed us what the Father was like. We ought to be thankful that He loved us while we were His enemies. The Bible says while we were still His enemies, He loved us. He got through to us. He loved us when we hated him. When we were shaking our fist at him, he loved us. He's merciful and kind and to the ungrateful and the wicked, it says. It says he forgave us, we should forgive others. I like this quote. It says, to return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good is human to return good for evil is divine. To be like him. We're called to be like him. Anybody can be nice to your friends, right? Anybody can, can say hi, you know, greet your friends. People that like you, you like them. That's easy. But what about people you don't like? Do you still wave to them? Do you greet them? How are you doing? Hi, nice to see you. I know you hate my guts, but man, hi. I know you're trying to stab me in the back every time I turn around, but God bless you. You know, do we do that? Can we do that? A Jewish man said this, the test of love is in how one relates not to saints and scholars, but to rascals. How do we relate? I remember uh, we moved into a neighborhood here in Rhode Island, and you know we're not from these parts. We moved into this neighborhood, and and uh, there was this older couple lived about three doors down from us, and they'd be out in the front yard, and and you know we'd wave to them, and they'd just go. <laughs> I'm telling you, for five years, we waved to them. Five years. 
And finally, I don't know what happened. Something happened and they began to wave back and be, <laughs> be friendly to us. Bob's waving at me like, five years. You say, well, listen, I've been trying to be nice to this, people for five, this person for five minutes now and it's not working, so I'm, I'm going to stop. I give up. Five minutes? How about five days, five weeks, five months, five years? Let's look at the last verse, though, because this, kind of te- this kind of caps it all off. Is what I've been saying all along. Verse 48, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, some people, they look at this verse and they just try to, like, weaken it and do away with it and, and uh, you know, make it mean something different. But I think it means just what he says, that he wants us to, to strive to be like our Heavenly Father, and our Heavenly Father is perfect. Now, does that mean we're going to be perfect in this life? We're going to achieve and arrive? No. But it's a, it's a goal, isn't it? It's a standard. It's what we pursue, what we want to be like. James Boyce, the pastor in First Presbyterian Church for many years in Philadelphia, said we were created to be like God, to aim at Christ-like character. The only way we will be able to do that is if God gives us a transformed heart. We're created to be like that and to aim to be like Him, to be like Jesus. You say, well, that's just too big of a goal, but that's what we're called to do. It says in 2 Corinthians 13 to... Aim for perfection. And then he says later in the verse, and the God of love and peace will be with you. But I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, and we'll read that, and and, uh, I give you my word that we will close with those verses. Philippians chapter 3, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Verse 12, he says after giving a whole list of different things that he wanted to know and, and to be like him, like Jesus Christ, he says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. He said, you know what? Forget about what happened yesterday. Forget about the past. Forget about what's behind you. And strain today to go forward to be like Jesus Christ today. Yeah, we blew it. Maybe you blew it on the way here in the car and you yelled at your kids or yelled at your spouse. And you said, man, forget about me being like Jesus. Well, forget about what's behind. It's all that's behind us now. Get up. And go on and and strive to be. Strain. Press on, he says, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
I haven't made it yet, but, but he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep pressing on. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going. Even when I blow it completely, I'm going to get up and I've got to keep going on. It's too early to quit. Would you not agree? Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, your Son, who came to this world to show us what you were like, the love that you have, the forgiveness the mercy, the grace. And yet, as we have given our hearts and lives to become yours, your sons and your daughters, you call us to that standard of perfection that you've, that you've set out. Yeah, Lord, we know we don't, we, we're not going to make it completely in these bodies. But you call us to, to press forward, to strive, to, to, to be the saints, to, to be those lights in the world, to be the salt of the earth, to forgive and to love those around us, even our enemies. And in so many other areas you, you called us to, God, we, we confess to you our complete and utter inability to do it. We can't do it, Lord. So we pray that you'd help us, empower us, enable us. And speak by your Spirit, Lord, I pray, when we're in those situations and you, you want to remind us of these words, the words you speak to us out of your word, to love the unlovely, love the enemy, care for them, their needs, who they are, unselfishly. Father, I pray also this morning for any that don't know you and they don't even know what eternal life is, I pray this morning that they would, that they would open their hearts to you and to the cross that you loved the unloveliest. You loved the human race who was shaking its fist at you. And you said, forgive. Father, forgive. But they know not what they do. They don't even know how bad they are. And yet you died for us because you loved us. And as we return that love as we offer ourselves and open ourselves up to you, you come in and you, you turn us around. You make us new. You give us hope. And you give us strength to live a life that pleases you. Any of you here today, if that's where you're at this morning, simply open your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life today. Make me new. Give me hope. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?